So in short, the most important thing to think about and to focus on when you're starting a channel program is to focus on the services that your partners are going to need to sell in order to become successful. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. Today we have my friend Jared Fuller, who's a VP of business development at PandaDoc. Jared, how's it going? Great to chat again, Eric. Happy to be here. Going well. Yeah, good to hear. Thanks for being here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So been in the startup game for about 10 years now, trying to, I think I'm right about at that 10,000 hour mark. Uh, and most of it's been related to sales and marketing. Founded a couple companies, Market Aces, which was a marketing and website development, kind of a creative uh, agency. And took that to about a 25 or so employees. We did a few million in revenue. And uh, then I got into SaaS and I was co-founder and CEO of a company called JobHive. Ran that for about three years. Um, had a decent run, almost took it all the way, but didn't quite. We're backed by great investors like Foundry Group and got us to number one trending on AngelList. So it was a fun ride, learned a lot. And now helping Panadoc scale out kind of our strategic partnerships, integrations, and then our channel. So building a, a massively going reseller program. So that's a bit of me in the startup world in a nutshell. Awesome. Great. And tell us a little bit about, Pan- about Panadoc. What does it do exactly? So documents suck. Uh, I don't think anyone thinks that documents are being done correctly. Think about it. The Microsoft Word format, PDF, it's been around for almost 30 years. So if you were going to go build a new website, a new app, right? imagine if you built that app on a gigantic XML file. Pretty terrible way to build anything. And we think that's the same case for documents. So we turn what used to be a file into a robust web app. So we have different objects like templates, content library, and we can actually track statuses of documents and see who's opened it and checked out how long they've been on each page. And then we integrate tightly with systems of record, like a CRM. So in short, you can create a proposal from CRM, merge all the data, customize that document right in your web browser, and deliver it for e-signature. So it's an all-in-one document platform, and we like to call ourselves the future of documents and think that we've figured out a better way than you know, the standard bearers of this fun, fun document world. <laughs> Great. And how would you, I mean, you know, if you were to explain this, I, I guess for, for people to wrap their head around this work, is there any like success story you can speak to or like a use case? Yeah, so we have around 6,000 companies actively using Pandadoc. We have about 1,500 people signing up a day. So we're one of the fastest growing SaaS companies that I'm aware of. It's certainly in this space. And I think the success stories there speak for themselves. We have tons of big name logos from companies as large as H&R Block to the USGA, you know, Golf Association to big enterprise companies like Riverbed uh, to even cool startups, right? Like Datanize or TaskRabbit that are using our product to automate this document process because there is a better way. So lots of uh, great case studies and testimonials. And we actually have a great place on our, our site that's called resources where you can check out a bunch of those 
great case studies with some of those clients. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's just assume, you know, I, uh, let's just assume, you know, it's, it's a marketing agency, right? And, you know, they need to get people to, to sign a proposal. Are you saying basically we can store the proposal template inside a Panda doc and then send that document to somebody else and they can go in there and then kind of, you know, e-sign from directly in there and it's, it's basically stored? Yeah, absolutely. So there's never any file. You don't have to go to Microsoft Word or Google Docs or a PDF editor um, or InDesign. You have your Pandadoc templates. They're customized via CSS to match the styles and brand of your company, right? So if you're a marketing agency and you want your proposals to wow people, right? And let's say you use something like HubSpot CRM. Since you're an agency, you probably use HubSpot. Uh, You can create that doc right from HubSpot CRM customize it. So let's say you want to drag and drop a case study, the target persona or buyer that you're selling to into that document. You can actually do really fast document assembly and maybe drag in a video for a specific service that you might be selling. So you can customize that document really quickly with these reusable snippets of content that normally didn't have a home in a a file, right? And then attach a quote. So you can build out that quote in Pandadoc and then send it for e-sign, and then your client right, can sign off on that proposal. You have a legally valid e-sign proposal slash contract, and you're on to your next deal. Awesome. Sounds good. Sounds like a big time saver for sure. How are, um, how are revenues going at the company right now? So yeah, right now we're right about 5 million ARR. So when I joined last year, we were about oh, 1 million ARR. So we've grown you know, about 5x in about a year. Um, so we're not quite at five, but we're just about to break it. We got a big bottle of champagne in the office that's staring us all down saying, hit that number, hit that number. Awesome. Well, I hope that happens soon and uh, I'll be up there to join you. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right. So, you know, I, I want to talk about something. I mean, I, I think in the beginning when you talked about how you're, you, you know, you had a, you had an agency in the past and then you, you had job hive as well. So switching from going from entrepreneur and, you know, going to, um, going back to the startup world, you know, some people are like, how do you transition back from, from, you know, entrepreneur and, and becoming an executive at, at a company? How, how did, how did that feel? And then why did you make that decision? You know, at first it felt really weird, and I'm not going to lie about that. After Job Hive, you know, it was my second company that we've kind of taken it from zero to some semblance of scale and operation, but I'd never taken a company, you know, from 1 million or 2 million to 30 million, right? That roller coaster ride after, I know how to hack things, right? I know how to build sales from nothing, get marketing leads in from nothing, but really scaling and optimizing and, and growing leadership, right? And hiring dozens and dozens of people to basically automate people and processes, right? I hadn't done that before, and I really had to ask myself, did I want to start a new company from scratch, or did I want to know in my next venture, because I'm sure I will start another business, what it's like to go from you know zero to scale and have a true exit under my belt? Because you know I didn't want to make the same mistakes again, and I knew the first half of the journey really well, and I didn't know the second half. So I took a deep, hard look in the mirror, you know, uh, ate a big piece of humble pie, and went, I think I want to join a company and help lead, you know, some a specific division. So Pandadoc reached out to me. I'm good friends with Makita, the CEO. Um, met him at a conference a few years back, and we'd stayed in touch. Almost integrated JobHive and Pandadoc. And when he heard I departed JobHive, he said, "You know, I want you to head our partnerships division. So build a reseller program from nothing. Build our integration partnerships from you know a small semblance of scale to a massive revenue generating machine for the company." So I got to have like my own startup within the startup. I got to have ownership, own budget, and full control, but learn right in that process. Learn a whole different side of the business because Pandadoc already had extreme product market fit. And the, the last test case for me, what really put me over the edge was the product. No matter what you can do in sales, no matter what you can do in marketing, you have to have an amazing product that wows people. 
and I've been a customer of Makita's for about five, six years. So at my agency, I use their product, Quote Roller. So I use that to send out all of our quotes. And then they released PandaDoc as their new product. And that's where I really fell in love with the product. So when he asked me to join, it wasn't that I was looking for you know a bunch of different companies, because I, I wasn't. But I loved the product so much and thought it could have such a big impact to kind of take a, a swing at the PDF and become the PDF killer that I said, you know what, if there was an opportunity that I'd evaluate and a company that I feel I could call my own, I think this is probably one of the only companies I would have joined. So it's kind of a unique set of circumstances, and I'm really happy I did it. Uh, it, it at first, it was like hard to conceptualize. Like, Can I do this? I feel like I'm pretty unhirable. You know, I hadn't been hired before. I'd always kind of done my own thing. But it's been you know, a gr- great success. We all love each other, and we have you know, one big happy panda family here. Yeah, that's that's great. You know what? I've 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 had situations where you know in the past where opportunities would would come up, and you know it's it's like, do I think I could really do it? But at the end of the day, it's not really about you know switching from entrepreneur to employee or whatever. Which you know a lot of entrepreneurs will be like, oh, you know he's going to go get a job or whatever, almost like it's derogatory. But to to me, it, it's all about the growth opportunity at the end of the day. And it sounds like that's what you're pursuing, right? Yeah. So for instance, you know I didn't know what a reseller program was, like building a value added reseller program. And this is something that most startup execs, if they're just going from startup to startup, would never actually explore. And why? Well, because you're focused on building you know, zero to one million, zero to two million. And what we've been able to do here at PandaDoc is, you know, I have Pete Caputa, who's the VP of sales for HubSpot, right? Pete joined our board of advisors. I went out and said, hey, Pete, I'm tasked with building a partner program. I need some expertise on something I've never done. Luckily, I got him to join our board. And what we did from there is he kind of mentored me and showed me the way and how HubSpot took their channel program from zero to almost $100 million in revenue, right? So Pete created that from nothing, and I had that same opportunity. So over the past six months, our channel program accounted for less than 1% of PandaDoc's revenue. As of this month, it accounts for over 13%. That's crazy growth. I mean, that's more growth than I've done even in my own startups in six months with a program that didn't exist prior to me you know, taking it on. So that, that to me was a learning experience that I wouldn't even have got if I was out trying to start my own business again. And it's a super valuable part of the, you know, our revenue. We have you know, over 100 partners now that are expanding and growing PandaDoc globally. And that's growing every day. So. Love it, love it, love it. I mean, what, what's, I mean t- talking about the value-added reseller program j- just for a second, I mean, what's one tip you would provide to people, one actionable thing you provide to people trying to get something like that started? You wouldn't believe how much you need to invest into two things. So a lot of you know partner programs try to focus on generating sales out of the gate. And what you have to do is put yourself in those person's shoes. So our typical VAR profile is a service-based business, right? So they sell work by the hour and they resell things like HubSpot or Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics. So they typically resell CRM, but they don't make their money off software. And that's where you have to take a step back, right? These resellers aren't interested in necessarily selling your product. They're more interested in servicing it. So there's three interests here. There's Panadoc's interests, there's my partner's interests, and then there's my partner's client's interests, right? And you really have to focus on your partner's interests, helping them build a better service business, showing them how they can add not the software to their portfolio, but a new suite of productized services. So for instance, most of these inbound agencies that are now reselling PandaDoc, they know it's important that they have to get into sales enablement. Why? They often bring a company a lot of new leads, but they don't have any insight or control over the sales process at the bottom of the funnel, right? 
So what we tell these agencies is, look, here's a big opportunity to start offering with your inbound marketing service a sales enablement service. And you have to focus that conversation around helping them bring this new service to market. And your software just so happens to power it. Yes, they might get a small revenue percentage of the software sell, but where they really make their money is when they have you know, a monthly sales enablement retainer or a sales enablement package that they can sell. So in short, the most important thing to think about and to focus on when you're starting a channel program is to focus on the services that your partners are going to need to sell in order to become successful. Makes sense. And I remember us talking about sales enablement uh, when we were eating lunch. And just for the audience, for those that don't know, what exactly is sales enablement? So it's the processes, the tools, and content that help sales reps and sales teams perform at a higher level. So you could say sales enablement is something like a CRM, right? But that's more on the operations side, right? It's helped to help to keep things clean and reportable and forecastable. But that doesn't make a rep more effective at closing a deal. It's just better pipeline and you know management. To us, sales enablement is something that can help a rep do more business than they were the month before by providing value in the sales cycle. So for instance, with PandaDoc, you talk to a client, you evaluate their needs, and after that call, you probably need to send them some collateral. So you can put together a custom proposal that says, here's how we've helped companies like you, right? So the difference is, sales reps today are selling to people that have already researched your product or company on the website. If you can't provide more value than what's already out there on the web, why do you have a job? What are you doing? So with PandaDoc, we make it very easy for you to customize you know, that collateral for that buyer's experience to make them feel like, hey, I just got the information that I needed, that I wanted, summarized and synthesized for me after this call, and I can have something that's very referenceable. And Jared was very helpful as a result of that. Thank you, Jared, for helping me you know, uh, evaluate this decision. So that sales enablement to us is helping reps deliver value during the sales cycle. Got it. Okay. Love it. And, and that's a growing trend. And I, I think, um, you know, it's only going to continue to get bigger, like we both agreed on. Going into, I want to talk about customer acquisition for a second. You, you, you talked about value-added reseller programs working for you. What's the most effective thing working for you guys in terms of customer acquisition today? So we have a number of different initiatives, and that's kind of a cool thing. We have a, several different machines that are bringing you know, value to PandaDoc month over month, and I'll talk about a couple of them. You know, We're speaking to the Growth Everywhere audience, Eric, that you've you know, built up, and so growth hacks are always a cool thing. So one of them is SEO. We have a really big SEO play, and it's brought us to where we are. We're kind of outgrowing the, this SEO hack, so to speak, but it, it was something that brought us a lot of business. So what we did was we looked at all the, you know, e-signature quoting proposal keywords and went, yikes, there's no way we'll ever rank for that. And Makita, to his credit, came up with a great idea that we could be able to actually not just try to rank for the keywords for the tools, but rank for the keywords that people use those tools for. So for instance, business proposal template, right? I'm probably going to need to get that e-signed or generate a quote from in that Right? So we could capture that audience without going after right, the keywords that were already so competitive. So we have a vast template library that brings us quite a bit of traffic month over month. So that's one of the growth hacks that kind of took us to where we were is our template library um, of documents that people search for. And no one else was really doing that. So that was something unique to us, pretty good growth hack, and uh, helped us with our SEO play. Because we're a document app, makes perfect sense to have a library of templates right, exposed and searchable and indexable by the web. Now we're starting to do outbound, uh, going after some larger mid-market deals. Uh, so not really a growth hack, you know, pretty standard, just good ops, good process. 
a good understanding of what it makes uh, takes to build a great outbound team. Uh, one of the other things is our integration partnerships and co-marketing. So that one's a little bit more of a, a hack as well. Insofar as you know, we might partner with someone like PipeDrive or HubSpot and build an integration, but we can both do co-marketing together. We can host joint webinars talking about a sales enablement solution. We can do blog swaps. We can do you know joint email campaigns. We can do in-app notifications to users talking about how they should hook up this integration if they have this use case. So our strategic partnerships with our integrations, it accounts for around 30% of all documents that are sent are sent through an integration partner, right? This has provided a ton of value, and it's a good acquisition channel for Pandadoc as well that most people don't have. So there's kind of you know three things that I think Pandadoc has in terms of acquisition that a lot of people don't know about. The first being you know a solid SEO play that brings us a decent amount of inbound traffic. The second being strategic partnerships with companies that are bigger than us, you know like HubSpot, where they're number one CRM integration partner now. And then also at a channel program at a pretty young stage, you know, uh, less than $5 million in revenue that's uh, growing pretty steadily. Um, so we found out the things that worked and have been scaling the ones that we know do. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like all of these are just relevant at, at the end of the day. Going back to the, the, the SEO play that you, you talked about for a second, when people are searching, for example, let's just use business template. If they're searching business template, they land on the page. Is the idea that you know they click on the template and then you guys require like a, like a opt-in or something like that? How does that work? So they're able to view the template, right? And if they, they want to get that template, it prompts them to sign up for a trial account, right? So they can come in and go, hmm, this is interesting. What are all these tokens in here for replaceable data? Oh, I can get this e-sign too? Oh, I can do a quote here? So it's a bit of an education, right? Because when they're searching for this template, what do you think they're looking for? They're probably looking for a Microsoft Word document or a Google Doc template or a PDF. And then we kind of educate them, well, here's a PandaDoc template. And you can just edit this live right in your browser right now. Customize it for your company. You don't need to download any software. You know, try out a trial. See if it works for you. Interesting. Okay. And what's the conversion rate on that? Conversion rate to trial. So here's here's some numbers. I can go somewhat down uh, the funnel without getting too deep. We have around forty thousand signups per month right now. So that's kind of where we're at, and we have around four hundred thousand uniques. So you can kind of do the math there. So it's around a you know ten percent. Uh, conversion from checking out PandaDoc and signing up for a trial. Got it. And would you say 10% of the trials convert into paid? We're we're more than that. So we're more than 10% that convert uh, into paid. I won't go into the exact numbers there. That's where I have to keep my mouth shut a little bit, but we're better than that. Awesome. Fantastic. Yeah, I think the standard number is around 10%, so you guys are doing better. That's great. Okay, well, I want to get a little deep here. Can you tell me about one big thing, positive or negative, that has impacted your life dramatically? Oh man, yeah, definitely. I think that was um, leaving Jobhive. That was the hardest thing that's ever happened to me, and it hit me in ways that tested me that I never knew possible. Founder depression is very, very real, and I never, I never thought that was a real thing while I was going through the journey. Like I would never consider myself a depressed person, and I never actually felt sad afterwards. But things like locking up, for instance. You know, going through my day-to-day motion and then all of a sudden looking at the clock and I've been sitting in front of my computer for an hour and I went, I haven't done anything. Like, what am I doing? And questioning these things and, and going like, how did, how did this go wrong? It definitely changed me as a person. And I think for the better, it was a lesson that took several months for me to get through. And I really would say six months before I emerged out the other side, able to process and, and it make me a better, you know, I think founder, friend, employee, you know, husband to my wife even, um, it took me to get through that process. 
Uh, it was something that shook me in ways I didn't know I could be shook. And I'd gone through some crazy stuff during that ride. I mean, putting everything I had into the company, my first startup, right? eating ramen noodles out of a coffee pot because we couldn't afford a pot to boil the, the ramen in. <laughs> you know, there were some tough times, right? And I never realized how much of a toll that can take on you until after that journey, right? That seven, eight year journey of being in startups and just doing the grind every day to when it stopped, how much that had impacted me. So in short, I know how to work hard. I know how to put in more hours than the next guy. I know how to hack things, but taking care of yourself and having a, a more global perspective you know, the thing that I think took me out of it was actually, um, I'm sure there's lots of people that have read this article and have read this guy, Wait But Why. Have you heard of waitbutwhy.com, yeah. that blog? Yeah, great blog. So I read that Elon Musk post. It's a pretty infamous post now. And whenever he talked about how Elon zoomed in and zoomed out in terms of taking perspective on things, being able to go very narrow and then zoom out, not just in terms of uh, decision, but time, you know, past, present, future. Um, how those things look with everything really reshaped me and kickstarted me going like, okay, if I zoom out, like if I zoom in right now, things look very different than when I zoom out, right? Like six months, the whole, everything's going to be different. So I think that was the, the, the biggest impact, you know, leaving job hive. And then I think I got shook out of it when I read that Elon Musk post, it was like, okay, there's a new way to look at this world and uh, get the most out of my experiences that I'm having now and have an eye set on the future while being remembering, you know, remembering the past. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, how do you get over something like that? But you just gave the the, the, the answer. So we'll, we'll drop that in the links for sure. And if anybody's going through, I think, any type of depression at all right now, I think that's something to read through and it'll give you a little perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the biggest thing, you know. It, I, I wouldn't say that I was depressed in the way that, you know, a lot of people have these things. It's just so much happened, like, you know, dozens of people lost their jobs, right? And, you know, investors lost money. And I lost mine in my day-to-day life that I'd been so committed to, like everything just changed. So it, it impacted me in a way where I didn't, I just didn't know it was possible. And the closest thing I can say, it was, it was depression, not that I was sad, but that I couldn't move, you know, I couldn't do anything. I was just so, I wanted to say shocked, I guess, you know, that the ride was over. Um, (laughs) but we're in a, we're in a much better place now. And I would encourage that. That's a great piece to read if you're stuck currently. Great to hear that you've recovered from that fully. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, I, I think I, you know, would love to, I think we, we, you know, we talked about the dark times, but we don't need to get deep into that here. But, um, moving on to the next question, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 20 year old self? There's a lot of, uh, big trends that I was like right on the cusp of that we just missed. So part of me wants to say like, you should have invested everything into Bitcoin. This is, we built one of the first Bitcoin plugins, bought a ton of Bitcoin and then like, divested it because we're like, oh, this thing isn't going to take off. So part of me wants to say like, hey, you should have just taken the silver bullet. But, you know, life advice is probably a lot better. And uh, I would have said, you know, invest more in yourself and less in your ventures. Uh, And what I mean by that is personal development, right? Education. I read a lot. I continue to read a lot. But it's like every time I invest more in myself, I get more out of it in, you know, my ventures. So mentorship, certainly, I would have invested more, I'd say invest more in mentorship, find someone who's done exactly what you've done before better than you, and is willing to take the time, listen, take notes. When you're about to have a phone call with them, have an agenda prepped with exactly what you're going to talk about. So for instance, that's what I do with Pete, right? I have an agenda every time we have a phone call, we debrief, and it's changed the way that I do business for a lot of different things. So I would say invest in yourself more than you invest in your ventures, and then your ventures will pay off as a result. 
I love it. And what does your learning cadence look like? You know, how, how often are you reading books, articles? I guess what's like the breakdown of all that? I wouldn't say that there's a cadence, uh, so I don't have that that perfected in terms of like, here's my process. The cool thing about content these days is you have so many aggregators that can pull content to you. So I use, you know, uh, news apps, et cetera, where I'm following things like, you know, everything from Jason Lemkin and Saster, right? So for the latest thing on sales, or I'm pulling in the latest posts from, you know, Pete uh, or whatever. So mostly in the mornings, now that I think about it, you know, first thing I do when I wake up is I read for probably 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Like that's how I get my brain activated. So that's actually been my typical cadence. And then podcasts too, right? Podcasts are great. So I have about a 30-minute walk to work, and I'm listening to a different podcast every day. So that content just kind of comes to me, right? I find new things, and I'm consuming a, a, a lot. And then uh, I have regular advisor calls uh, as well. So every other week. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I, I think all of these are, 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 I think any type of learning is a hack. You know, podcasts definitely help expedite, especially when you go on like two to three X speed. Um, and books are a huge bargain too. But I, I mean, the whole podcasting, the fact that all this information is available for free, I think it's just like cheating in real life. And I, I, I'm, I'm all for that as long as it's ethical. <laughs> of course. Yep. Yeah, I'm thinking about starting my own as well. So You should. Um, yeah, we're, we're thinking about calling it sales and scotch and focusing on talking to salespeople and, and helping salespeople through their day. So I'll keep you posted if we decide to move forward with it. I love it. I love it. And I uh, hope, hope you guys are drinking scotch while you do it too. Of course, we're going to evaluate like a different kind, right? So it's a, uh, a little bit of both. Awesome. What's one must-read book you'd recommend to everyone? Uh, leadership and Self-Deception. Uh, so Leadership and Self-Deception is about a concept of being in the box. In short, uh, I'll use the example from the book that I love. It's 3 a.m., your baby cries. You roll over and you look at your significant other and uh, you look at the baby. But your first thought when that baby cried was, I need to take care of the baby, Right. But when you look at your significant other, you go, I'm so tired, right? Doesn't she or he know how hard I work? Why aren't they getting up? Don't they hear the baby crying, right? I had such a hard day at work. And there's that moment of self-betrayal, right? Or being in the box where your first instinct was, go pick up the baby, to all of a sudden you're blaming this person that's literally asleep, that has done nothing wrong. That applies in management in more ways than one, right? The, the problem that's worth, worthwhile fixing it's amazing how fast you'll turn that switch off and go to it's this person's fault without even recognizing you've done it. And you can do that to your spouse. You can do that in your personal life. You can do that in your professional life. And uh, that book definitely changes that mindset. It's the only, I've read lots of books many times, so like mostly classical philosophy, but this is the only like business book that I've read more than once. I think I've read this one probably four times and listened to it on audiobook with my wife uh, on multiple drives across the Southwest. Um, so I've probably consumed this book in its entirety seven or eight times. And it's all story-based, so it's not a, a dense read. It's, it takes you through a story of a fictional company and, and how a management is, uh, exec is training a new employee on how to not be in the box. Great book. That is deep. I just added it to my, uh, my Amazon one-click, so I just purchased it. Um, appreciate the recommendation. We'll drop that in the show notes. Uh, but Jared, this has been great. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, hit me up uh, on Twitter at Fuller Freedom. So Fuller Freedom, like my last name. I'm happy to interact with anyone on Twitter. Um, Probably the best way to catch me and we can tweet. Awesome. Great. Jared, thanks so much for doing this. All right. Sounds great. Thanks, Eric, for having me. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.